0: My name is Keith Beavers and raise your hand if you've read the first novel of The High Republic, The New Star Wars Saga. Me too! What's going on wine lovers? Welcome to episode 17 of Vine Pair's Wine 101 podcast, season two. My name is Keith Beavers and you know who I am? I'm the tasting director of Vine Pear. Yeah. We've talked about red wine. We've talked about white wine, rosé, bubbly, all kinds of cool stuff. But we have not talked about fortified wine. And here we are. We've got to talk about it. It's unique. There are misconceptions. Let's get into it. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Taylor Dessert Wines. Founded in 1880, Taylor Desserts offers a line of superior ports, sherries, and other traditional dessert wines from the Finger Lakes region of New York State. With a special selection of high quality sweet and smooth dessert wines, Taylor is great for cooking or simply enjoying an after dinner treat. Available in a variety of sizes and flavors, Taylor Dessert wines are a delicious addition to any home or restaurant. Bring home a bottle of Taylor Dessert wine and let our traditions become part of yours. You know, wine can be so overwhelming. You know, <laughs> You're like okay, Keith. Yeah, it's why we're listening to Wine One Hundred and One. Thanks, dude. But like, it is like it's been around for so long, and so many humans have done have have been experimenting with the 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 practice of winemaking for so long, and so when you just dive into it you're diving into something that's been around since antiquity and is as complex as humans can make something. It's insane. And it's really just the history of humans tinkering and finding out the best way to make wine in their part of the world. The, the, the grapes that are there, the climate they have, the challenges in the vineyard and in the, in the wineries that are unique to them in that place. And then when we as humans figure out how to make something work and the resulting product just hits right, just like hits it, just it's just there, it catches and becomes like a standard. And then this only leads to more experimentation because we as humans and winemakers, winemakers can never get enough. They always want to try something new. And all this is how different wine styles are born. And when we started adding spirits to wine, a whole new world of experimentation opened up for us. This is the world of fortified wine. Fundamentally, the idea is fortified wine is the practice of adding a spirit to wine. The whole principle behind the idea of fortified wine is you're fortifying wine, strengthening wine. You're adding alcoholic strength to a wine. But what you're also doing is you're limiting the amount of sugar a yeast cell can produce. And the result is often a boozy, somewhat sweet, sometimes very sweet wine. And often you'll find that fortified wines come from some of the warmest, driest, or hottest regions in the world for wine. In the Douro Valley of Portugal, they make a fortified wine called Port. It's a very hot, very unforgiving, dry climate. Southern Spain, in the Jerez region, there is a fortified wine called Sherry. Southern Spain, very hot very dry. In Western Sicily, there's a fortified wine called Marsala. Western Sicily is very hot and very dry. Of course, today, these wines are made all over the place. There's actually port style wines being made in the United States in places like Missouri, and that's not very hot and very dry. But traditionally, this is how these wines came to be. And if you think about it, fortified wine is a style is a fairly short list of wines compared to the wider world of wine, red, white, sparkling out there. But here's the capper, and this is what's tricky. And this is why when people look into fortified wine, they dip their toe in and go, yo, this is too much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just back up here for a second. Thank you. The thing is, even though there's a short list of, of fortified wines out there, within each category of each wine, is a laundry list of styles and it it's overwhelming i said it in the beginning of the episode that's kind of where i was getting to is man it's overwhelming port itself has at least a dozen different styles madeira an island off about 600 miles off the coast of portugal which is part of portugal it's an island that makes fortified wine madeira they have i think 13 or more styles within their fortified wine category some of those styles are so old that they're not even made anymore they're just talked about it's insane and this is what i'm talking about with figuring out having a challenge in your region figuring it out and then running with it and continuing to experiment with it to the point where you actually lose some of the things you've been doing throughout through history and what's really wild about this is that the idea of fortified wine i'm sure it's been around for a long time. Distill- distillation has been, is ancient. Wine making is ancient, but the idea of putting the two together really came. When I talk about prominence, this all started happening in the late 17th, early 18th century. And the reason we know fortified wine today is mostly because of the relationship between England In Portugal. In 1703, there was a treaty between Portugal and England called the Methune Treaty. At the time, France and England were fighting. They had a history of trading together, but this was basically a trade war. It was also a time when Spain didn't have a leader and there was a lot of fighting to figure out who was going to take the throne. It's called the Spanish War of Succession. This was all happening right before the 1700s. And in 1703, the Portuguese and England have a great relationship. They did in a previous war where they helped each other. So they, England didn't like France. So the Methune Treaty said, we are going to give preferential treatment to all imports from Portugal over any other country in Europe, especially France. We're taxing everybody else. We're not going to tax you guys or tax you less. And therefore, we now will be doing business with Portugal. All trade stopped with France. So English wine merchants were like, well, I guess we're going to Portugal. So English wine merchants start working their way into Portugal, specifically Northern Portugal, into the Minho region. That's in the Northwestern part of the country. This is where the Vino Verde wine region is. And for them at the time, Vino Verde, which is these days is mostly white wine. It was all, It was a lot of red wine being made back in the day there and it's fizzy, and it was a little bit astringent, a little bit lean for the, for the British palate. So they started moving further down the Douro River, and they found the Douro Valley. There they found red wine being made, but this was the complete opposite of the astringent, thin wine of Vino you know, Verde. This was austere, heavy, tannic, like slap you in the face red wine. It came to be known by the English as blackstrap wine. And merchants in this area, what they would do with this red wine before they bottled it, they would actually shock it or dose it with a grape spirit to fortify or strengthen the wine and stabilize it, kill all the bad bacteria and all the yeast cells so they don't start reproducing or refermenting in the bottle. And so that it survives the river all the way across the ocean to England but it was still rough to drink. And the story goes that there was an English wine merchant who sent his two sons into Portugal to look for new wine. Apparently the black strap was intense or just looking for new wine as a business person. And it, it goes that the, the sons go north of the Douro Valley into a place called Tres Trez do Montes. And they find, wait for it, a prominent monastery. Oh my God, the monks are here, people. The monks are here and leave it to the monks to figure it out to them they didn't they were adding grape spirits as well to their wine but they weren't doing it after it's all fermented and bo- before bottling they added grape spirit right in the middle of the fermentation process and what that did was just stop the fermentation in its tracks killed off the yeast all the volatile bacteria And retained the amount of sugar that had not been converted by the yeast. And the result was this red, boozy, soft, fruit forward wine. And these guys were like, this is absolutely delicious. This is amazing. You know how much money we can make off this? But like in British accents. And then they took that idea back to the Douro Valley, back to that wine region and the idea of port was born. I mean, the word port the, for the wine is named after the second largest city in Portugal on the Douro River called Oporto. And that started it all pretty much because at this time in history, the, the seafaring nations were out there looking for other places to live. The colonies over on the east coast of the United States started happening from England. There was this island about 600 miles off the, po- off the coast of Portugal called Madeira. It was a major port of call between um, uh, the Iberian Peninsula and Asia and, and Africa. The seas were filled with ships either on trade routes or exploration campaigns and it was the Spanish, the Portuguese, the French, and the English, just all out there. And they were traveling hundreds of miles. They were away from their homes probably months or years at a time. So this style of wine had a few advantages for what was going, around, going on around this time. When you dose wine with a spirit, a few things happen. Number one, I've mentioned this before, it kills off or makes renders impotent any yeast cells doing any activity in the wine. It also takes care of any kind of volatile bacteria. So with the fermentation process stopped in the middle of the process, there's a lot of sugar that hasn't been converted. So the resulting wine is gonna be sweet and a little boozy because you've, ended, you've basically brought this wine up to about between 15 and 20% alcohol by dosing it with a grape spirit. The third thing and the one thing that really brought this style of wine to the rest of the world is the fact that all those things I mentioned make this wine very reliable for long traveling distances. In fact, the fortified wine being made on the island of Madeira became very popular in the in North American colonies that would be the United States. And they found out that at some point, the barrels that were going over there, the, the wine, the fortified wine and barrel making the journey to the colonies actually improved by the time it got to the colonies. So they actually tried to replicate that in, on land to have that quality of wine before it ships out. And just as a side note here, the fortified wines of Madeira are some of the most aged wines on the planet. The oldest wine I ever tasted was a Madeira. Somebody said to me, hey, do you wanna taste a wine that was made when Abraham Lincoln was president? I'm like, yes. And he poured me a glass of 1865 Madeira. And it was awesome. Deep, dark, caramel, almondy, Oh, it was great. These wines are nuts, guys. Another important sort of port of call was Andalusia in the southern part of Spain. This is where the town of Jerez is. And this is the, the like the holy triangle of sherry. Meaning there are these three towns that form a triangle. And within that triangle is the, the growing region for sherry wine. And this wine is unique because the, the winemaking process here... The yeast that is used is a different strain of yeast than we're all used to for just regular wine. It's a strain of yeast called floor, F L O R. And it's a it's a it's a blossoming yeast and it covers the wine in the barrel and protects it from oxygen while the yeast feed on the sugar in the wine. It's a very unique kind of style. They then dose the resulting wine at the end of the fermentation. And then they end up putting the wine in something called a Solera system where you have up to 12 barrels stacked on top of each other and then connected. And the wine stays in these barrels and always filters down to the bottom layer, which is the oldest wine. And you draw off the oldest wine and then everything kind of filters down. This is called the Solera system. Again, this is very unique to this area. And this is something they came up with with the challenges they had. This is just what's so crazy about wine, especially this style. And it's really Port, Madeira and Sherry. These are the big three that we see on our market to this day because they were very popular wines in the American colonies. We were trying to make wine in the American colonies on our own. But while we were doing it, we were drinking fortified wine, mainly from Spain and Portugal. And it seems that like I said in the beginning, when you add a grape spirit to wine, whether it's before the fermentation, when you put it in the must and then let it ferment from there like they do in Australia for a wine called Topec and Muscat, which is extremely sweet. So they have to put the, they have to like get it started just before the fermentation process. Or whether you put it in the center, center, the middle of the fermentation process or towards the end, it just opens up a whole new possibility of stuff so, what's happening here is the the wines of port and Madeira, and not some maybe sherry, but mostly port became so popular in England it was it was it was called the Englishman's Wine, and that's a pretty big endorsement. So with that kind of popularity, all these different types of port came about throughout the years, and that's why. And Madeira, oh my gosh, as well. Because Madeira was very popular mostly. It was popular in England, but it was very popular in the in the American colonies. So they had this new style of wine that was very popular, sweet. It could travel. So you know people were just creating all different kinds of port to sell. They wanted to keep it interesting. I mean, I mean they were experimenting with this stuff and they were creating these new th- styles within their category, but they were also hoping to sell this stuff and get it popular over in England and all the other colonies. And... As a result, port, oh my God. I'm just going to go over port because it's just insane. You'll see more port than any other fortified wine really on the American market. I mean, we're actually making port style stuff here in the United States, but you're going to see ruby port, which is sort of the entry-level, easy drinking, inexpensive style of port. Then you're going to see reserve port, which is premium ruby port with a little more depth and concentration. You're going to see tawny port, which is sort of an amber colored, caramelly, easy drinking port you're going to see aged Tawny port, which is a higher quality of wine for Tawny and is aged at least six years in wood. Then there's Tawny age reserved, which has to see at least seven years in wood. Wood meaning barrels. Then there's colheita port, which is a port from a single year blended and not multiple vintages. Then there's the vintage port, which is different than the colheita port in that it has to be declared by a governing body to be a vintage. And then there's the Top of the top, the single Quinta Vintage, which is basically one property making the wine in a single vintage, and it's very expensive. The last two, we don't see a lot of. But that's just port. But for Madeira, the wines are either named after the variety in which the wine is made from, or just the categories of dry, medium dry, medium sweet, medium rich, rich, or sweet. And the the grapes' names are Verdeo, Bual, Malmsey, which is basically Malvazia. And Malmsey is one of the most long-lived. That's why when you listen to pirate stories in the Caribbean, they're either drinking rum or Malmsey, because he could last on the ship forever. And, and that's not counting the, what are called the historical styles of Madeira. Like I said in the, in the beginning, styles that are just lost to history. And I think there's like 11 of those. And in Andalusia in southern Spain, where sherry is made near Head S and the surrounding towns. They they do it a little bit differently with the floor, and then they dose it at the end. They put it into the Solera system. So these styles, you have the lighter style of sherry, which are the very pale in color. They're called finos or manzanillas. Then you have the darker sherries, which are called amanteados or olorosos. Oloroso means aromatic. They're dark and caramelly. And then there's a very sweet style that the British called cream sherry, which is you take an Oloroso and you dose it with a little bit of a sweet wine made from a grape called Pedro Jiménez, also just known as PX. How's your head? Are you a little bit dizzy? Was that a lot of information? Well, it is a lot of information, and that's just scratching the surface. We didn't even talk about getting into Marsala. Also in Roussillon in southern France, there's an awesome style of fortified wine called Vin du Natural, They're not natural wines, natural just means natural flavors, which relates to them putting this wine into glass carboys, or just big glass jugs, and letting them sit outside in the sun for a very long time, we're talking 20 or 30 years, and then they bottle them, and they are just nutty and almondy, and they're, sometimes they call them rancio, R-A-N-C-O, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it means rancid, and that's just a rank. And that's just because the, the, it's not nasty, but it's just a very intense smell as this wine has been sitting in the sun for so long. It's just wild stuff, guys. And at some point on Wine 101, we're going to go into each of these places and talk about them and get details. And so you get, get you guys all set up. This is just a nice, well-rounded discussion about fortified wine and dip into history a little bit. But this will get you set up, get you to understand what these wines are about. So when you're out there, you kind of get a sense of what you're about to buy or what you're looking at. Vine Pair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout-out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout-out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme Song, listen to this, and I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Taylor Dessert Wines. Founded in 1880, Taylor Desserts offers a line of superior ports, sherries, and other traditional dessert wines from the Finger Lakes region of New York State. With a special selection of high quality, sweet, and smooth dessert wines, Taylor is great for cooking or simply enjoying an after dinner treat. Available in a variety of sizes and flavors, Taylor Dessert Wines are a delicious addition to any home or restaurant. Bring home a bottle of Taylor Dessert Wine and let our traditions become part of yours.